You're listening to a new sermon series from Sojourn Church Carlisle, entitled All in the Family. Over the next few weeks, we'll be sharing how to cultivate a strong relationship with God through managing our finances, as well as maintaining strong relational dynamics in both familial and non-familial contexts. We hope that this series will give a clear vision and a much deeper appreciation of how God is calling each of us to become faithful stewards of our finances, of our families, and of our friendships. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. My name is James Fields. I serve here as lead pastor at the best church in the city of Louisville, Sojourn Church Carlisle. It's indeed a great honor and privilege to be with you this morning to preach and proclaim the goodness of our Christ. Amen? Amen. If you're visiting with us for the first time, we invite you, if you can, um, to fill out a Connect card. Um, it's located, should be right there in the pew in front of you, and then or at the welcome desk. We would love to get to know you, see some new faces, and we would love to know how to pray and serve you. Um, and even in your visiting, if this is your first time um, with us, we would love just to be able to know how to do that. This morning, we're going to continue within our series, uh, All in the Family, to provide a biblical framework on how to build our lives and how to build healthy relationships with God regarding our finances, our family, and our friendships. Um, This morning, we'll discuss the topic um, of family and parenting by examining the following three questions. What is the role and purpose of the family? How does a family work? And what is the aim and goal of parenting? Um, We'll begin by looking at uh, a familiar passage of Scripture, Psalm 127, verses 1 through 3. So uh, continue to stand with me as we hear God's Word read over us this morning. It says, Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor over it in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, a watchman stays alert in vain. In vain you get up early and stay up late working hard to have enough food. Yes, he gives sleep to the one he loves. Sons are indeed a heritage from the Lord, offspring are a great reward. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You know, the problem is an ever-present one. The issue is all-consuming. You can't deny it. You definitely can't avoid it. It's a question that every person with a child or multiple children have asked or wondered. What is it? It's the question of wondering and the frustration of not having a guidebook or manual to help raise your children. You know, you hear parents complain about this all the time. I can't believe that my kids didn't come with the user guide. You know, I wish God would just tell me what to do while parenting. Maybe this may be you. I came from a dysfunctional family. I don't know what I'm doing. Why can't God just give, provide me an instruction manual or something to help out? Well, if you ever said or felt any of these things, this sermon for you this morning is for you. And if you haven't said or felt these things, I promise you one day you will. So make sure to take detailed notes. Your future self will thank you later, I promise. Will you pray with me? Father, we do thank you for the gift 
of family. We thank you, God, that you have given us clear instructions in your word, Lord, of what it means to be a family, to have a family, and to relate to one another as family. I pray that you would guide us um, through the teaching of your word this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be um, the one who would connect the dots for us. You would be the one who clarifies all truth that points to Christ and his resurrection. We ask that you would be with us in every way. As always, God, take the little I have and make much of it. Glorify yourself as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, one of my favorite hobbies is watching the construction of newly built homes. I enjoy watching HDTV. I enjoy watching large uh, skyscrapers being built in New York City um, on the Smithsonian's channel. I love how watching how architects and engineers and designers take someone's vision and make it into their reality. One of the greatest joys for me, even now living in the South End, is witnessing the renovation and construction of newly built homes. And if you didn't even know, about half a mile that way is a huge vacant field that will be actually restored within the next two years with um, over 100 new homes that will be built there. I get to drive by that place every morning taking my kids to school, so I'm sure I'll be driving extra slow as I go through that, that neighborhood. You see, when we think of successful parenting, I want us to envision a house. I want you to envision a house. You see, every house consists of three essential things. It consists of a foundation, it consists of a framework, and it consists of a formation. For the foundation, the question that we want to ask ourselves is, what is the role and purpose of the family? See, the foundation of a home is the most important aspect of a home as it is used to support and provide an infrastructure for the home to be built upon. Most foundations are simple and very generic, but without a firm foundation, nothing else would matter. Look with me to Genesis 2, through 25 to remind ourselves about the passage that best explains the purpose of the family. It reads this way. Then the Lord God made the rib he had made, he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is one at last, is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked and felt no Shame. I hope you saw that transition there in the language in Genesis, where in the beginning it talks about the man and the woman, but then at the later part it talks about this woman being his wife. You see, in the beginning, God didn't give specific instructions on how a family should work or how it should operate. He just gave us the foundational components of a family, one man, one woman. And honestly, it was presumed that they would naturally figure things out. Think along with me. Man and woman, husband and wife, desire and opportunity, love and intimacy. I'm sure you can figure the rest out. 
So, so what's the purpose of the family in our society? There's three foundational purposes of the family. Number one is this, is that the family is the oldest human institution that exists. It is the oldest human institution that exists. And dare I say, it's the first human existence institution that was created by God. The family is the first and foremost foundational establishment within creation. Everything that else that God had planned, everything that else God had envisioned, everything that God had desired would start with the beautiful nucleus of the family. It's a good reminder for us that we can't improve upon God's design for our flourishing. We, we not only can't not improve upon it, we should not seek to try and improve or depart from what God has given us from the very beginning. One man, one woman, in holy matrimony before God their king. Notice with me, not, the family is not the only, the oldest human institution that existed. The family is God's ideal institution. I mean, God could have created the flourishing of our society in any way that he deemed possible. But he gave us the best and only and exclusive way to do so. God created the family with a specific plan, design, and purpose. Created the family male and female. He created it compatible, but also yet complementary to one another. He created them equal in essence and value, but distinct in their role and in their function. And lastly, but definitely not least, the last foundational purpose of the family is that not only is a family the oldest human institution that existed, not only is the family God's ideal institution, but the family, in my opinion, is a cure for every problem within our society today. The family is the cure for every problem within our society today. You see, I firmly believe that everything that we experience in our society can be traced back to familial issues, familial issues that we've experienced. Neglectful and absentee fathers produce hordes and hordes of young men and women being either left homeless, abandoned, or even worse, in prison or dead. Greed, covetousness, lust, uncontrolled anger produce bouts of friction, divide, rebelliousness, and greater sin. Gang activity, murders, rapes, suicides, all of these things stem back to some aspect of dysfunction within the family. Well, Pastor James, I still don't understand. Why is this series on family so important? This series on the family is so important because I believe firmly believe that as we focus on our families, we will be better able to build up our society. As we focus on our families, we will help build up our society. In other words, our local communities are simply a reflection of what's really happening in our families. As mentioned earlier, a house consists not only of a foundation, but it also consists of a framework Look with me to the wisdom of Psalm 127 as we recall our framework or how does a family work. 
Listen to the words of the psalmist when he says, Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor over it in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchman stays alert in vain. In vain you get up early and stay up late, working hard to have enough food. Yes, he gives sleep to the one he loves. Sons are indeed a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward. Earlier, we discussed the importance of building upon the foundation of God's design for the family. And here, we're reminded how to take that design and build upon it. Notice with me in Psalm 127 that the Lord is owner of all. The great theological term is that he is sovereign. But also notice with me that God's sovereignty doesn't negate our responsibility. The psalmist doesn't say, since God is watching and building, since God is building the home, don't worry about laboring over it. The psalmist doesn't say, hey, God is watching over the city, so go to sleep and just live laissez-faire. <laughs> oh, he says, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor over it in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, a watchman stays alert in vain. So what does it mean to build a successful framework for parenting? Well, before I share with you the, how to build a successful framework for parenting, let me share with you and let me clarify what, it, what this is not saying. This is not saying to us that we should have a Jesus take the wheel mentality in our parenting. Doesn't, it doesn't say that we just parent without without even thinking, that just letting God have all the responsibility, all the care, all the worry, every tantrum, every problem that we have with our children, we just say, okay, God will take care of it. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to talk to the child. I'm just going to just continue to pray for them. Yes, and please pray for your children. Don't hear me say not pray for your children. But what God calls us to is not simply to pray for our children, but to pray for them as well as being involved in their lives, investing in their lives, walking with them, correcting them, encouraging them as we pray for them. It's not a Jesus take the wheel mentality. This is also not, I got this I got this on my own. I don't need anyone else's help mentality. This is not telling us that you just totally neglect every aspect of God and you just do what you know what best to do. My parents were great parents. They raised me well, so I'll do exactly what they did to my child. That's not also the answer. What also is not the answer is I'll figure it out as I go. I'll make a lot of mistakes and just keep asking for forgiveness and make more mistakes and keep asking for forgiveness all on my own. It's not the way that God has called us to parent. See, God has given us as a parent a personal responsibility, but he's also given us a communal responsibility. And this is why it's so important for you to listen if you're not a parent, because God's command and instruction for us is both a personal command, but also a communal command. Listen to the personal command in Genesis 18, 19, when God is talking to Abram right before he destroys the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, for I have chosen him, Abram, 
Abraham so that he will command his children and his house after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. This is how the Lord will fulfill to Abraham what he promised to him. Do you see the personal command that God has called Abraham from the very beginning, not just to have God do all the work, but he has chosen a specific man with the specific command of God to put his hand to the plow for the flourishing of his family. I know it's simple and I know it's minute, but it's, fundamentally, it's fundamental for us to know that God has chosen you as a parent to serve as an ambassador, as his ambassador. And not only have a personal responsibility, but we also have a communal responsibility. Look with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. It says, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your head and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. I love the old African proverb that says it takes a village to raise a child. And what that proverb is saying essentially is that it takes an entire community of people to interact with children for those children to grow up in a safe and healthy environment. Listen, we cannot in this church be only concerned about our families. We cannot be only concerned about our children. We cannot only be concerned about those who we take home and feed and love on and nurture in our homes. God has called us to live as a community to love and care for babies and for men and women, boys and girls who are not our own. I'm talking to those who have children, and I'm also talking to those who are yet to have children. Every child in this church should be seeing the beauty, the nurturing, and the care to Christ, not only in their parents, but also in their community. You know, this week I had the great opportunity of turning 40 years old. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> it's been surreal, to be honest with you, because I realized, man, in another 10 years, my kids will be 23, 19, and 17 years old. 10 years. All of them going out my house. I don't know if I should... Be happy or be sad? I'm both. I'm kind of both at the same time. And honestly, as I was talking and reflecting with my wife about the next 10 years, I said, babe, I got to be intentional. (laughs) I got to be intentional. Like, man, I only got 10 years to have my youngest be with me. And in 10 years, he'll be a senior in high school. That's crazy. That just blows my mind. Now, listen, I know 10 years is a long time. But as you know, they come so fast and they come so quick. But you know, one of the greatest things that I was reminded of in our conversation, 
Because all I was doing was, man, I got I to gotta do this, and I got to plan trips, and I got to do all this stuff. And my wife gently reminded me. She said, James, that's really good. I'm glad. Be intentional. Be strategic. Have your plan, right? Vision plan for the next, you know, that's why I'm, I'm going to write a whole, guys, this is our vision plan for the next 10 years as a family. She called me down and said, hey, listen, there's people called the church that also are going to help foster and fill in the gaps, right? So honestly, one of the greatest joys that I have for my now 13 going on 14-year-old daughter, one of the greatest joys that I have is that she's starting to build relationships outside of us with you guys, right? She's starting to build relationships and asking conversations and, and talking and, and, and interacting with you guys, right? Because she's not going to talk to me about everything. That's okay. I'm, I'm dad, you know. That's okay. But I'm so thankful and I'm so grateful that she has godly women whom she is befriending in our church. She has godly mothers and godly surrogate aunties and surrogate grandpas and surrogate grandmothers who will give her a hug or ask her how she's doing or pull her aside to encourage her. Maybe put a dollar in her pocket without her knowing it. (laughs) You know what the greatest comfort that I have in the next 10 years is that my children gets to be raised and they get to be nurtured, not just by me, but they get to be raised and nurtured in this community. And that each one of you, as members of this church, you play a part in that. Your smiles and your encouragement, even your correction, it plays a part in my children growing. And it's not just my children, it's our children growing in the likeness and beauty of Christ their Savior. See, as parents, God calls us to serve as stewards over our children and not as owners of them. I need to say that again. Listen, as parents... God has called us to serve as stewards over our children and not as owners of them. So let me ask you to consider this. Does your parenting exhibit you being a steward or or an owner of your children? Does your parenting style exhibit you being a steward or an owner of your children? Are you thinking of including the Lord's counsel and wisdom in your parenting? Lastly, whom are you seeking wisdom from? Who are you, who's helping you to counsel? Who's helping you with those tough situations that you're dealing with in parenting? Who's mentoring you? Who's an advocate? Who's an encourager? Who's somebody before you? Maybe who has a child that's older than yours that can help you with those sticky situations, those gray areas you're dealing with? Simply put, are you inviting the presence of others to learn from? Listen, parenting is hard enough, but it's even hard enough when we try to do it on our own. When we try to figure it out on our own, but God has not called us to figure it out on our own. He's called us to lean on one another. He's called us to learn from one another, to draw strength and encouragement and love from one another. If you're struggling in your parenting, beloved, God has not called you to struggle alone. 
You have a host of surrogate moms and dads, grandpas, grandmas, aunties, uncles that God is strategically placing your life through the means of the church to help you raise your children. Remember, we are stewards of our children, not owners of them. It's a good reminder for us that the foundation of our parenting is that my, ch- my children are not my own. They are God's children. They are God's children whom he has given me the responsibility to point back to him. That is the essence of what parenting entails. That's what the essence of good parenting is. It's the foundation that your children are not your own. They are his, and he has given you the responsibility, the temporary responsibility, uh, while you have time on this earth, to point your children back to the heart of their father. Well, Pastor James, you know, that sounds great, but man, practically, what does this look like? (laughs) How How do I make that happen? Right? I strive to do it, but where does the rubber hit the road? Well, to give you a practical picture of this, I want to take you somewhere that maybe seems obscure or a little off. I want to take you to the Gospel of John, and I want to take you to a moment with Jesus and his disciples, a, a, a very pinnacle moment in the life and ministry of Jesus in John 13, verses 3 through 5. Listen to the words here. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel, tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and dry them with the towel tied around him. Notice with me here. Notice the actions of Jesus, but also notice with me that the freedom to serve others originates from the freedom of knowing and having confidence in God's sovereign control over all things. That the freedom to serve others originates from the freedom of knowing and relying and resting in God's sovereign control. Notice the three things in John chapter 13, John chapter 13, verse 3, that Jesus knew. He knew three very specific things. He knew that the Father had given everything into his hands. He knew that he had come from God, and he knew that he was going back to God. In other words, Jesus knew where he stood with God. He knew that he was in right relationship with God, that he was justified before God, that regardless of what would happen in his life, that God had his back and God would respond to any need that Jesus had in that moment. He also knew where he was from. He was reminded of where he came from, from the very throne room of heaven. But not only that, he knew where he was going. He knew that he was going back to God. Notice with me that the freedom of Jesus knowing all three of these things, where he stood, where he was from, and where he was going. Notice with me the result of knowing these these three things. Look with me in verse 4. So he got up from supper. And he began to wash his disciples' feet. What prompted Jesus into service? What prompted him 
to get on the ground and wash his disciples' dirty, filthy, nasty feet. It was a knowledge and a comfort and the confidence to know and, and, and to believe in the sovereignty of God. You see, when you're an owner of something, the sovereignty relies in you. You're the sovereign one. So you have to correct every problem. You have to fix every issue. You have to address every concern because if I don't do it, who's going to do it? But when you go from being an owner to being a steward, you realize that someone greater than you has a greater responsibility and not just responsibility, but capability to reach your child's heart and to minister to them in ways that you yourself could never think or dream of. Parents, I plead with you. If you have been treating your child as if they're your own, that they belong only to you, I ask that you confess this to Jesus now and ask him for the strength to repent and turn away and embrace being a steward before him. Embrace being a steward. Embrace the tantrums. Embrace the frustrations. Embrace the sorrows and even the joys and trust that your God loves your babies even more than you do. You don't have to win every fight. (laughs) You don't have to win every battle. It's okay. God's in control. He knows how to minister. He knows how to work things out for our good and for his glory. As mission, the house needs a foundation. It needs a framework, but also needs to have formation. It also needs to be formed. Look with me to Proverbs 22, verse 6, to see the formation. Formation is answering this question. What is the goal or what is the aim of parenting? Proverbs 22, 6 simply says this. It says, start a youth on his way, and even when he grows old, he will not depart from it. So if knowing that God has called us to serve him as ambassadors is our foundation, excuse me, is our framework, then what consists of this this formation? And how do we do it? I love this proverb because God doesn't give us permission to parent apart from his wisdom and his counsel. He actually expects it. He says, listen, start a youth on his way in teaching and admonishing and loving my word and loving my decrees. And even when he or she is old, they will not depart from it. Now, listen, this verse is not a ver- this is not verse is not one of promise. It's not one of promise, but it is a principle. It's a principle that God has given us to remind us that as we heed his counsel, Our parenting will produce fruit both now and also in the future. That as you love on your children and as you serve your children, as you parent them in the ways of the Lord, God is planting seeds that you have yet to be seen in their lives that will bear fruit eventually. Good reminder for us that, again, we're called to build upon the, upon the foundation 
of serving our children as ambassadors, as ambassadors. So what does it mean to to serve as God's ambassadors? It means three things. As God's ambassadors, parents are called to do three things. One, we need to reflect God's mindset or his character. We want to recognize his methods. And then lastly, we want to rehearse his message. We want to reflect God's character or his mindset. We want to recognize his methods, and then we want to rehearse his message. So what does it mean to reflect God's mindset or character within our parenting? You see, in the black community, there are cultural sayings that are just known regardless of your upbringing. And maybe you've heard of this as well. I don't want to exclude it to the black community, but since that is my experience, that's where I heard it from. One example is uh, from a famous quote from Bill Cosby, who actually said this in one of his stand-up comedian lines. I don't know if you know this, but if you know, the, if you know it, fill in the blank. I brought you into this world, and I can take you out of this world, right? Yes, yes, you know it. And rightly or wrongly, I have had these words spoken over me as a child. And I have regrettably also spoken these words in the ears and psyche of my own children. They have to pay some money later in life for therapy for that, but that's okay. God is in control, right? And while I understand the joking nature of this statement, I also want to consider the underlying presumption within this statement. Since you are mine, I can do whatever I want to you. (laughs) Since you are mine, I can do whatever I want to you. Notice this is a statement of ownership and not one of stewardship. Listen in contrast to the wisdom and counsel from God's word in Ephesians 6 verse 4. It says this, fathers, do not stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I love how John Calvin puts this. He says this this way in in regards to parenting. This is our goal. We want to nourish them with tender affections. We want to nourish them with tender affections. I love that. So what does it mean to recognize his methods? See, the Bible provides three specific ways for us as parents for us to parent our children. We want to do three things. One, we want to communicate to their hearts. Proverbs 4.23 says this way, it gives us the reason for that. It says, guard your heart above all else for it is the source of life. Next, we want to communicate to their conscience. As parents, we want to speak to, to our children's mind. Proverbs 20 verse five puts it this way, counsel in a person's heart is deep water but a person of an understanding draws it out. But lastly, but definitely not least, we want to communicate through the rod. And as parents, we want to speak to not just the happy and good times of our children, but we also want to speak to the disobedient and also rebelliousness within our children. Proverbs 22 verse 15 says this, foolishness is bound in the heart of a youth. A rod of discipline will separate it from him. Now, I want to be very sensitive and careful here because I also want to realize that 
For some of us, in our own experience in our parents' home, the rod has been used as something in the in a lack of a better term, in an abusive way. So if you're here right now, you're wondering, what if I'm afraid to use the rod because it's been misused against me as a child? I want to say a couple of things to you, if that's you here today. Number one, I want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry that your parents abused their God-given authority over you and used it to satisfy their own selfish desires by unleashing hurt and pain upon you and your siblings. I'm sorry. Second, I want to commend you. I want to commend you for acknowledging the pain and abuse that was inflicted upon you. I I think that's really good and really helpful. And it starts... It doesn't heal you, but it is the, it is the, the origin of, of starting the healing process. It's to admit and acknowledge that type of pain. Third, I want to remind you that God has called you to serve as God's ambassador, which means that our ultimate goal as parents is to reflect the character, the nature, and goodness of our God, especially while disciplining our children. And then fourthly, lastly, I want to remind you that just because your parents abuse their rights against you doesn't give you the right to do the same against your own children. In other words, just because mama and daddy did it that way doesn't mean that you have to do it in the same way. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Behold, everything, all things have become new. Walk in the newness of life. Remember what Ephesians 6, 4 says, fathers, do not stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And it's a good reminder for us that you've been abused You have the great privilege and opportunity to learn from your parents' mistake and choose to do something different in your parenting. Amen? You have that opportunity. You know how I know you have that opportunity? Because I had that opportunity myself. You see, as a young parent, I a lot of things I'm telling you not to do, I actually did in hurtful ways to my kids. And I remember one specific day, after going off on a deep end with my kids, I remember just breaking down in tears and and, um, asking God not only for forgiveness, but for healing. And one of the things that God spoke to me in that moment of my my vulnerability was that um, I need to admit and share with my wife specifically, but maybe my children, of the type of discipline that I received when I was young. See, when my era, my parents men would just spank you until they got tired of spanking you. <laughs> you didn't have two or three whoopings. You had spankings until they got tired of spanking you. And I thought this was the right thing to do because that's what was done to me. But that's not the right thing to do. 
And at my breaking point, I had to look to the Lord and look to my family and confession and asking for forgiveness, but not just asking for forgiveness. I wanted to walk in a new way of life. I wanted to repent of my old ways and do something new. So one thing that my family and I decided to do specifically was that we were going to agree on the punishment beforehand. (laughs) We weren't going to just grab a belt or grab a utensil or whatever to spank our children. They would know what they're going to get spanked for. They don't know how many spankings they're going to get. And they would know what they did and how we, would, how we desire for them to turn away from sin and rebellion and to right living with God. And we had to do that because it was right and it was good and it was for our children's flourishing. We decided to be proactive and not reactive. We decided to determine and agree upon the punishment, like I said, beforehand. And if you want to know how to do that or what that looks like, come talk to me. I would love to share resources and things that we've used in our own home. There are many other jolly elders who are sitting here before you and around you who you can ask and see. There are friends and peers. But if you have experienced abuse in this way, I encourage you to talk with your spouse and determine the punishment beforehand and agree upon it, not just with them, but also your children, so they know exactly the punishment that they are going to receive, but they're also, in the same breath, also let them know of the encouragement they're going to receive after the punishment to help them grow in the nature and beauty, again, of God our Savior. Look at Proverbs 9, 7 through 9 with me to see the goal of parenting. Proverbs 9, 7 through 9 says it this way. It says, the one who corrects a mocker will bring abuse on himself. The one who rebukes the wicked will get hurt. Don't rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke the wise and he will love you. Instruct the wise and he will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and he will learn more. So what's the goal or aim of our parenting? The goal and aim of our parenting is to point our children towards God's goodness, towards his greatness and generosity through their interactions with you as their parents. Point of our, the, the point is to point the heart of our children towards God's goodness, his greatness and generosity through their interactions with you as their parents. I love what John says in His third book, chapter one, verse four, he says, I have no greater joy than this than to hear of my children walking in the truth. (laughs) So how are we to achieve this goal? What what are we supposed to do to, to try to achieve this goal of successful parenting? We'll talk more about this next week because next week we're gonna talk about the art of confrontation. We're gonna talk about how do you not only parent, but how do you parent when your child is being rebellious, maybe when they're being um, stubborn, if you will. But to prep us for next week, I want you, we're going to look at the same verse next week. But to prep us for that verse, I want you to look at this verse again. And I want you to notice that the three characters represents the three types of people in our world. You have the wicked, you have the mocker, 
and you have the wise. The wicked, pers- the wicked person can be equated to being an evil person. The mocker can be equated to being the foolish person. And the wise is, you got it, they're the wise. <laughs> there's no, there's no uh, need to change that. Notice with me, though, that how a person responds to correction depends on their spiritual maturity. How a person responds to correction, it, it, it determines and is dependent upon their spiritual maturity. The evil person, when they get corrected, you know what they do? They become more aggressive. They become combative. They become contentious. They become destructive. What do you do in that situation? We'll talk a little bit about that next week. The foolish person, they become defensive. They become argumentative, maybe even pugnacious. What do you do in that situation? We'll talk about it a little bit more next week. Notice the wise. The wise person remains reflective, contemplative, amendable, and even receptive to correction. We want to raise our children in such a way that they learn how to respond to the trials and the problems of life as one who is wise. And listen, that doesn't happen overnight. (laughs) You're not going to have a three-year-old running around saying, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, all the time. Amen. But it's a good reminder for us is that how we guide, how we encourage, and how we instruct our children to respond, to rebuke, correction, and discipline will serve as a critical component to the formation of their character. How we guide, encourage, and instruct our children to respond to rebuke, correction, and discipline will serve as a critical component to the formation of their character. So how do we do this? Well, let me just give you a a quick synopsis and a quick ideal. Listen, number one, just keep it simple. I had the joy of being able to serve as a dean of students at Montrose Christian School for a number of years in Rockville, Maryland. Um, I love that job, and I want to just share with you some things that we taught our children to help them learn to love and walk in wisdom. Again, we want to keep the focus simple. You don't want to give a two- or three-year-old 20 different rules because they're not going to remember not even one or two of them. So there's three things that we have used in our school before. We just ask for obedience to be done in three ways. Number one, we ask for quick obedience. Number two, we ask for full obedience. And three, we ask for cheerful obedience. Quick, full, cheerful. Quick obedience is obedience with all your strength. It's to love God quickly, right? I shouldn't have to ask you multiple times to do the same thing over and over and over again. Do it quickly. But not only do it quickly, do it joyfully. Do it, obey with all your heart. You don't have to have an attitude when, and, 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 and throw a temper tantrum every single time someone asks you to do something. Do it with all your heart. Your attitude means everything. And then lastly, full obedience. Obey with all your mind, right? Obey with all your mind. Listen well and do what I've asked you. If you don't understand, feel, feel free to ask me questions. But if you don't ask me questions, I assume you understand. And honestly, if your kids are very, very young and they can't ask you questions, ask them, hey, do you understand what I'm saying to you? Do, you? do you get it, baby? How can I help you? How can I come alongside you? But quick obedience, full obedience, and cheerful obedience. Keep it short, keep it simple, 
Keep it, remember, keep it in a way that they can remember. And uh, may God continue to bless you on this journey of parenting. Again, next week we'll continue this discussion about parenting by looking at the art of confrontation. We want to just give you practical solutions for parenting when our plans don't go as planned. Amen. That happens often. Um, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for that you have given us the family for our flourishing and for our growth. I thank you, God, that you have called us as a church to parent in a personal way, but also a communal way. Pray that you would help us, Lord, to confess where we are acting like owners instead of stewards. Give us the strength to not only confess, but also to repent, to turn away. May our children, Lord, see and experience the goodness of their God through their interactions with us as parents. Father, I do pray that you would surround us with mentors, with men and women um, who can help us, encourage us in our parenting. Father, I pray that you would grow us in this way, in every way. Thank you for this time, and thank you for allowing us to take time in this series. In Jesus' name, amen. This time we get to have an awesome celebration of remembering um, Jesus who has placed himself as a sacrifice for our sins and has given us the command to remember his sacrifice through this meal called communion. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, broke it, blessed it, and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat. It's my body broken for you. Let us take of that and eat of that bread together in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> in the same way, he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of my new covenant, which is poured out many for the forgiveness of sins. Let us drink of that cup together in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and hearing and preaching of his word. Amen. Amen. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a church that is rooted in the community of South Louisville, and we are seeking to advance the gospel of Christ in South Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com backslash Carlisle, C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. God bless.